And welcome, everybody, to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 272 and part two of our conversation with umpire, or former umpire, I should say, John Hirschbeck. It's also the heart of the election. Election Day is Tuesday, November 3rd in the United States, and it is dominating the gambling world. We will talk to Bovada Sportsbook's head odds maker, Patrick Morrow, not just about sports. We're actually going to ask him about all the action that's on the presidency. Last episode, we got into his stories and we got into his new auction that you can find at magicofmichael.com, named after his son, Michael, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, He had two sons that passed away. Uh, Hirschbeck has done so much and he has so much in this auction. It's really, really amazing. But something happened towards the end of the conversation where he started to get into something that I've been very passionate about, and that is what's gone on in baseball. Now, when you're listening to this, this comes out on Wednesday, and I had to record it before so it could come out on Wednesday, and I didn't wait till after the Game 6, so the World Series may or may not be over. And you know the answer, and you're laughing at me, and that's fine. Let me know on Twitter that you knew before me. But... This conversation was too valuable to bury at the end of a long podcast. And, you know, my 2020 New Year's resolution was to have shorter episodes. And sometimes I did it, sometimes I didn't. And this time, I thought we put together the heart of what John Hirschbeck really wanted to talk about. And that is the changes in baseball and the focus on launch angle and the strikeouts and all the relievers that throw 100 miles an hour and how you saw in this World Series elements that you don't see in the regular season. I wasn't marveling that a guy stole home. I wasn't marveling that you saw somebody run the bases and there was strategy to the game. That's gorgeous. That's beautiful. It's why this World Series has been fun. I want to see that all the time. I want to see that more in the regular season. And then on the off day, you heard the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, immediately talk about how much debt they're in. And immediately, there's now concerns that 2021 is not going to happen unless you can have full ballparks. And I don't know where COVID-19 will be by then. You saw the NBA is in a state of flux. They're targeting Christmas, but they don't know. The NHL is targeting New Year's. They don't know. It's a very weird time in sports because we had the overabundance of sports and now suddenly things are different. There's a lot to talk about on this podcast, I know that. But let's get back to our interview with John Hirschbeck, the former big league umpire. And my first question to him, very simply, is how everything started and all the changes that you're seeing in baseball started with my favorite subject, launch angle. Oh, um, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's fluff. It used to be that if you had two strikes, you protected the plate. Right. And it was the job. And I always say that when, you know, Kerry Wood struck out 20 uh, uh, guys, you know, with, with the Cubs, that was harder because those guys were doing everything in their power not to strike out. Right. Nowadays, these guys and Clayton Kershaw just got some big milestone of strikeouts, but he's in an era where these guys swing and miss all the time. All the time. You know, they all want to hit home runs. They all. Well, the batting but- order. They want to hit home runs. But on top of that, and, and you can maybe tell me, my theory is this started with the shift. Once mm-hmm. the shift happened and people realized they had to change their mechanics, 
they started to realizing that the tools that they had and they realized this 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 idea of launch angle and i'll use this stat and people listening to this podcast know i use this all the goddamn time and i'm sorry i'm not taking it back jason stark told it to me and i love it in 2018 baseball had 11,000 less balls hit in play than 2008 that is not the old man sitting on the on the porch going baseball was better when mickey mantle played that's not what this is 2008 is not that long ago and i remember 2008 was my last year at mlb i remember the philadelphia phillies won the world series i i was there the problem that has come about with this where billy sample we referenced him in the podcast he's been Mm -hmm. on this show he used to tell us about his days with the texas rangers and he said that if he struck out, you were not allowed to utilize the services of the bat boy. You had to carry your own bat back to the dugout in shame. Yeah. And now with pitch counts and launch angle and all this bullshit, yeah. they have, if you have a nine pitch at bat, even if the ninth pitch is a swinging strike three, that is considered a productive out. Yeah. And that drives me mad. And Joe Madden, who's a friend of yours, and I know he is, yeah. Joe Madden's a great guy, but what in the what when he said that to me and he said that's a product a, a productive strikeout and he gets high fives in the dugout and i said uh, uh what what's going on here this doesn't make i'm with sense. you i'm okay, with you tell me does the average fan at home give a darn at what sp- the exit velocity speed is when a ball is hit off the bat like it, it's crazy it, it's absolutely crazy they've it's gone so far people and, and again, I'm going to go back real quick to the time of games and everything and the starting time. I know it's all about money and advertisement and Fox, but what kid they're trying to track younger people to the game. I'd love to see the statistics on that because people can't sit for three and a half, four and a half hours and, and watch any, do anything. It's too much time out of their day. And ki- children can't be up like, you know, when we were young and you watched, we couldn't wait for the World Series and watch watch every minute of every game. But who, what kid can stay up at that time and, you know, get up yeah, and go to work, go to school? I don't think it's that. I, I, I don't, I, I, I've done a lot of research on this and I just, I'm not disagreeing with you. You're not wrong. But I think there's something worse than that because no one complained about Avengers Endgame being three hours long. No one goes to a movie and goes, God, that movie's long. Like if, if a movie's great, the movie's great. If, if it's, it's good, great, you don't want it to end, right? At, right. At Avengers, nobody wanted Avengers to end. The In this situation, and I think this is where I, I, I think baseball's just on the wrong side here, it just seems like they are focusing on, they believe still that the home run sells. And yep. I make I have issues with the guy who runs the MLB Twitter account because I tease them all the time because on a typical night, they'll show 10 highlights and nine of them will be home runs. And, and you I'll know, reply, don't forget also the home run earns players money. Well, of course, but, but I'll say to the guy, I'll say to the Twitter account, I'll go, did someone make a diving catch? Did, <laughs> did somebody make a nice play at shortstop? Somebody's got to be doing this. And what I fear is that the game is just boring. And that's why time of game. I don't think anybody cares about the start times anymore. I, start times is an old argument. If kids want to see it, if they want to see it, the NBA final starts at nine o'clock on the mm-hmm. East Coast and no one complains. But it's over. At nobody. 11. Com- 
Well, right, <laughs> right. But, <laughs> yeah. but but what I'm saying is when you're but when LeBron James is in the in the NBA Finals and a nine year old wants to see it because that's his favorite player, right? He's seeing it. He's staying up. We're well, not you're right in this too. World. There's a lot of action. I mean, but there's not in baseball. And it, you're right. Use the word boring. It's boring. It really is. Do you you've seen so many different eras? You've seen. The, the, the pitching mound lowered. We've seen the steroid era. This seems worse than that because this is being taught. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, this is not, this is not, nobody's cheating. I, I mean, if they are cheating, more power to them. They're not making a better sport, so it doesn't make a difference. Right. And this, ar- this argument, and I, I say it from a point of, of, of love. I, I love this sport, and this sport has made my livelihood. It's not that. It's I feel that this sport is dying and I, I have professed a double pronged crisis. There's two crises. The first one is next year when the collective bargaining agreement's up. And I have thought all along uh, and I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but we went down. Uh, uh, you brought I, always me down. Thought, <laughs> I thought this um, this 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 season, I would have gassed this season because 10 owners didn't want to have it anyway. And I would have locked Rob Manfred in a room with Tony Clark, give them all the masks they want, make them quarantine for 14 days and don't let them out until they have a collective bargaining agreement and say that we're not going to play because of COVID reasons. People would have been mad. Don't get me wrong, but not as mad as they're going to be when we're finally past this pandemic and there's fans back in the stands. And then they go on a labor stoppage because they are so diametrically opposed. It's scary. And that, if you think there's scary. vitriol, you think there was vitriol when baseball wasn't playing in May, just wait. And that I think baseball bit the wrong tree. This season was hodgepodge and I'm thrilled that I'm watching the world series, but this was hodgepodge at best and their problems are still glaring. And that's part one. The second part, and I'll go quickly is I just worry I'm 46. And I think that when I'm 76 people that are 16 and that will be 46, I don't think they give a crap about baseball. Yeah. And I, I, that, 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 I don't think that's going to matter. So that's the, that's the long-term, that's the doomsday uh, crisis. I certainly hope you're wrong because tell me if no, if you're right, that will be exactly what you said. It'll be terrible. People have said, will say, you know, even with umpires, like when I was union president, the, the idea of going on strike was like the last thing in the world everyone, how do you feel sorry for people that are making good money when other people are working their butts off and coming home from work and trying to make ends meet in a family. And you take players to where God knows what the average salary is now, but you're not going to get any sympathy from the American public. That's for sure. And um, if you're right and, and that ha- there's any kind of work stoppage, God help the game can't happen. It should be a, a not, they should stay right from the get go. We got to work this out. John Hirschbeck has so many stories. We'll hear more of them in just a moment. But first, we told you about the presidential election. In case you've been living under a rock, Donald Trump against Joe Biden, Tuesday, November 3rd. And we don't even know if we're going to get the results. But a funny phenomenon is going on in the gambling world. There are more bets being placed on the presidential election than sports right now and the numbers compare with the super bowl or the ncaa tournament the biggest gambling events in sports 
We bring on head odds maker Patrick Morrow from Bavada Sportsbook to tell us exactly what's going on in the country of ours. And he's not even in the country. He's in Canada. Yeah, Seth, we were actually just running the numbers uh, just yesterday and uh, betting handle so far. So the amount of money we've taken in on this election is already and we are just over a week away from the election or just under a week away, pardon me, uh, it's already five times higher than it was in 2016. Uh, this election betting has taken on a life of its own. Uh, love him or hate him, Donald Trump but does draw eyes to this as he started to in a way that we hadn't seen before. I hate to sound like Trump, uh, that this betting is some of the biggest that you've ever seen, that you've never seen before. But it, that really is the case with us at uh, Bovada right now. Uh, and it is pretty staggering that we actually have a team of four guys now just watching the political wagering. Part of that is the amount of money that we're seeing on it. And part of that is also now the variety of different state-by-state -state props we've posted, uh, popular vote props. Uh, we've even posted uh, whether uh, it'll be a blue state or a red state after election day that will win the college football championship oh, this year. So uh, we're getting pretty creative with it. And that's partly because of the reaction from players. It is right up there with the NFL for wagering right now. And it's so it's on us to really take this and run with it. Yeah, and it really is. And like we've said all along, you know, we'll go where the, 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 the action is. I mean, we're not going to do a gambling podcast where there's going to we're not going to talk about things we want to talk about. We're going to talk about things that players are playing on. And that's really interesting. The, the, the thing that I wonder is the overabundance of polls, you know, because I see and if you if you read one poll, it mimics 2016. And then there are other polls that say it's different. And the big difference, obviously, is COVID-19, because there are going to be Republicans that don't vote for Donald Trump simply because they don't like the way he's handled COVID-19. There will be Democrats who don't vote for Joe Biden simply because they think Joe Biden is not capable of getting us out of this or that he's too panicked. Because, you know, a lot of times it's gone down party lines. Like, for example, it is a very common Republican statement to say, I don't want to wear a mask. A Democrat usually says, I want to wear a mask. And I don't understand that. I, I, I don't understand how this got political because it was never anything political in my estimation when I tweeted it. Wear a mask. Be safe. Be safe. And I get called a left wing crazy. And then I say, put fans in football stadiums, and I'm called a right-wing this. So I can't win either way. But do you get the sense that this is going to pattern 2016 and that it's going to be a lot closer than we thought? Or do you think all the other factors, the the mail-in, the, the, the COVID aspect of it, the vitriol, what, what do you see come next week? Man, this is this is something that I've really struggled with, uh, really the whole year. I think uh, since the coronavirus uh, came into play, I, I would have bet comfortably on a Trump re-election. I think uh, the economy was doing well enough for him and Biden did not appear to be a strong enough candidate. And I think uh, this election is really, uh, it's a judgment on how Trump has handled the coronavirus in the United States. Um, I think. And, you know, I, I think we've touched on this before, this idea that when Trump's joking around and not taking things too seriously, you can kind of roll your eyes and deal with that uh, if everything else is going okay. 
Uh, a guy who's riffing through a coronavirus uh, reaction is not the guy you want. Uh, it's, it's just going to go away. It's fine. I mean, that's, I think that frustrated a lot of people. Um, I think um, where you're seeing some breaks away from those traditional party lines are uh, elderly. Elderly are traditionally GOP voters, but elderly are uh, some of the more specific uh, at-risk uh, demos when it comes to COVID-19. And that could be huge in a state like Florida, which has a very large, uh, very white elderly population that traditionally votes GOP. That could help deliver the state to Biden. Uh, I think what has been helpful for me recently when trying to come up with these odds uh, for Bovada for this election is looking back at 2016 to see, okay, how wrong were the polls uh, compared to how I conflate it? And it wasn't actually that bad. Uh, I went and took a look at Nate Silver at 538. And I think by election day, he had Hillary at 71% to win the election. Whereas betting markets like us uh, had, I think Hillary just north of 80%. Uh, this year we've got it kind of weirdly flipped. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's mostly because of just action on our side coming in steady on Trump. Nate Silver has uh, Biden at about 88% to win, much higher than the Democratic Party in 2016. And we're sitting at only Biden minus 185, which represents, you know, with uh, the House margin and everything, between, you know, 60 to 63% or so. So it's a weird kind of inverse relationship here. So as much as people like to dunk on Nate Silver in 2016, I think it's important to note that he would have been betting on Trump based on that 29% chance he, uh, he had Trump to win versus what the betting marketplace had. Theoretically, he would have been betting on the underdog there because he would have had Trump as slightly more likely than the betting markets. And I think a lot of people forget that. So taking that into account the last couple days has given me, I think, some pretty good perspective. And uh, even though we have a pretty big Trump liability, I would say that, you know, everything had to run perfect for him in 2016 to win all those swing states by the skin of his teeth. Uh, the polls weren't that wrong. They were more within the margin of error. I think uh, Biden has such a lead now in the polls that, I mean, again, even Nate Silver would concede Trump can pull it off, but he has to run even hotter. So many things has to break his way. And I think with early voting, early voting, I think uh, will have helped uh, the Democrats and Biden because that came in before the second debate where Trump uh, admittedly did better than the first one, although he didn't have, he didn't have to do much to do better than the first one, I think, right. in a lot of people's eyes. And limits are going up every single day on all of this uh, right now. Uh, you can bet as much on the presidential election as you can on any one of our NFL games this weekend, which just seems bizarre to me, but that is where we're at. That's exactly, oh, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. All right, uh, let's go to the NFL. And let's discuss week eight. And I want to start off with something that I think is a betting anomaly. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets. Uh, I mock the Jets on this podcast because I do some work covering them. And that's not why I'm bringing this up. Uh, when it opened, it was 21. I don't know where it is now. You tell me what the Bavada line is now. I know it got a little better. But in the NFL, that kind of line scares me. And do you think it would scare most people who gamble on this game? Or is this a game you wouldn't touch because the line is so much? Right. So a, f a few things there with that. Uh, and it, it's a really good point. So first, right out of the gate, uh, you're right. It opened at 21. We are now at 19 and a half at Bovada. 
And uh, the thing with big lines like that is, uh, historically, they, they don't fare very well for the, the massive, more than two touchdown favorite. Uh, when seeing spreads like that, it does remind me of the old Patriots in that uh, season where they went undefeated prior to the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, historically, uh, teams cover those spread as underdogs uh, more than 60% of the time. So it's, you know, generally speaking, not a very good bet. Uh, you know, the Jets are a team that they did cover last week against the Bills in that uh, very, very boring uh, six field goal, 18-10 result. But uh, they don't inspire a lot of faith on either side of the ball. Adam Gase uh, is really, uh, you know, we're just waiting for him. He somehow continues to uh, outlast so many coaches. Uh, and he might outlast uh, Mike McCarthy at this rate as well. But uh, yeah, so I would say historically, it's it's not a good bet to lay that many points. And I think that's why that 21 has come down to 19 and a half, coming off that uh, whole three touchdown favorite so far. But having said that, we still have about 60% of the action on the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who is just behind Russell Wilson for the NFL MVP odds race at this moment. Patrick, great stuff as always. Enjoy the election as best as we all can. I promise next week we're going to talk some sports. Yeah, and before we go, we got to celebrate that we had uh, no major sports rescheduling this week. How fun was that? That games actually took place when they were meant to. So that was uh, always good for us as odds makers, always good for the betters as well, because if anything's ever moved more than 24 hours, we have to return those bets uh, and, you know, right. and re-offer those lines. So good for the betters, good for us, and of course, obviously good for player safety that uh, COVID uh, testing has you know, come down a little bit in these games. That's Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. Now it's time to rejoin our great conversation with the great John Hirschbeck. And I think that it's not like Bud and Fear, Don Fear, um, you know, they hated each other. They couldn't. Gene Orza hated Bud Seeley. But. I think Tony Clark likes Manfred. I, Rob, I really Manfred think... my, Rob Manfred's a very likable person. And I know a lot of yeah. people are going to say, because, you know, I don't really read the papers that much about that kind of stuff, but I know him from being across the table in negotiations because yep. that was his job then. And um, when I met him too. Yeah. And I, I just, I know the kind of person he is. I know away from the table, all the laughs we've had, you know, and had a beer together Yep. He's uh, he's a good guy. I tell people if he lived around me, we'd probably be friends and hang out. We laugh at the same things. It's just he's a good guy. He um, I have a, a, a twisted. He's mad at me right now. So really, <laughs> he's mad because uh, <laughs> I mean, people who listen to this podcast, they know um, because it's because of this podcast that he and he listens. I met Rob in 02 when they had the almost strike in 02. And like you said, I beers a couple of times, pizza a lot. It was after the negotiations. Uh, we would hang out because uh, uh, Bam would have us camp out at the commissioner's office because if there was a breakthrough in the talks, we would be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would hang out, and then the, they would call it for the day. It'd be 1030 at night, and we'd go get a slice, and I would hang out with Robbie Manfred, and that was the guy. And I always thought, and I said this last week on the podcast, I always thought Jimmy Lee Solomon was going to be Bud's replacement so I was always kissing Jimmy Lee's butt and never Rob Manfred's. <laughs> I never dreamed that he would be the commissioner. Picked the wrong butt, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Manfred doesn't like, because I did a podcast with Eddie Dominguez. 
And you know, Eddie, uh, mm-hmm. Eddie was a resident security advisor and um, I, I'll get the episode number um, because if, for those of you listening, um, Eddie has, you know, empirical data that can back up that, uh, you know, go against uh, Rob Manfred and, and Rob heard the podcast and he knows, and that's just the way it is. And the fact of the matter is, is that I don't even know if this current problem is his doing you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i i just think this is something that he this is a big albatross that i don't know that he has the solution for what frustrates me about current rob manfred is he just seems to be putting lipstick on a pig like <laughs> extra innings nobody bitched about extra innings like i've never heard a fan go god that game was awful it was tied and then they kept playing like that i've never heard that right. And I don't understand that one. I don't understand the batters with the, with the, with the pitching changes because it changes all the strategy and all that. I just think the big issue is the shift. And I wanted to ask you this. What would your feeling be if there was an imaginary line from the point of home plate to straightaway center field and before the pitch is thrown, the first baseman, the second baseman, the right fielder, the left fielder, the shortstop, and the third baseman can't cross that line. The only people that can play on both sides of the line, all of a sudden, it's, it's the catcher, the pitcher, and the center fielder. And my re- reasoning is you would increase batting averages by 30 points. And there's not 11,000 hits, but there's 6,000 more hits. And if you had 6,000 more hits, it's a better sport. Okay. I, I, I don't like that personally because I think, again, it's changing the game in a drastic way. I've said to older players, um, you know, that were still in the game when I was there, like, what do you think about the shift? What would you have done? They said, I would have just hit it the other way all day long. And they, they knew how to hit. People that are watching or listening, if you're not old enough, don't even know what fungos are. I mean, you know, or, or hitting fungos. And playing pepper by the backstop. Remember the signs when you were younger, they were probably still there, no pepper here or no pepper. They'd be on the back of the screen. And that was the game where they just play soft toss and try and work their bat right, left. And they have a line of four guys and they just tap the ball in the air to each one of them. But they knew how to use a bat. And now people are saying, boy, this guy is really old. But no, um, George Brett, Rod Carew, if, if you put a, a switch on them, they just go the other way and they do it all day long. But again... It's changed a lot and, and guys don't care they're, because they're going for that ball over the fence. Right. And it's, why can't you go the other way? They're teaching it. And, and it's yeah. why, and you've seen the trends with the managers. Um, they're all young now, you know, yeah. all the, the managers, Craig council, and I'm not knocking Craig council. It's Craig council. And it's, uh, it's um, uh, Tori Lovello and Dave Roberts. These are young guys who can communicate the message because this, these messages are coming from the organizations, right? It's not a manager. This isn't Jim Leland. You referenced Jim Leland, right? Nobody told Jim Leland what to do with his lineup. No, no. You went into Jim Leland. First of all, I was scared to death of Jim Leland and Jim Leland never said a bad word to me, but I still was scared because he's that intimidating. So was Tony La Russa. And my first manager I covered was the late, great uh, Don Baylor. And I was scared out. I was 23. Really? He was was such a, such a nice man. And you mentioned um, Tori Lovello and Dave Roberts. They're, you know, having them as players and then mm-hmm. managers and coaches at the end of my yeah. career. They're great people. They're great people. But I, they understand when they take the job that management 
and all your Ivy League guys are going to make all decisions based on statistics. That's just the way the game has gotten. Right, and and Brian Cashman, who another great human being, we're talking yes, about nice people. Uh, Brian Cashman, salt of the earth, great guy. And he one day at the winter meetings a couple of years ago, we were having this debate because this I'm obsessed with this debate because I I'm scared to death for a game that has meant so much to me uh, in in my life. And mm-hmm. we were talking, and there was some media people there, and some of them are loud, and we were talking about this exact conversation, and we were saying that yes this the the numbers show that this makes sense to win and winning is what this is about sure but it's boring is all get out and when we when he said that brian cashman is walking down and he looks at us and he goes that i'll agree with and i looked at him and i said but you're part of the problem that was the day that he acquired Giancarlo stanton from miami and i said you just acquired 200 strikeouts and he looked at me and he said, and I'll, he'll ne- he's, he, he stands by this. My job is to win, not to entertain you. Well, and he's right. He's right. And he's, he's right. right. And I'm sorry, but is, if everyone has that attitude, this sport is doomed. Because if everyone just cares about winning and these numbers and these statistics show that it's worth winning, well, then you're taking the life out of this thing. And if 11,000 becomes 16,000 less balls in play, it's going to become chess. Well, let me ask you this. Is that, and, and for the people listening too, because maybe they don't know, I don't know. Is that a proven fact that all these statistics and all these things that they do nowadays, is it proving that it wins more games that way than just a Lou Pinella managing or Tony LaRussa managing? Uh, Lou Pinella, who's also been on this podcast. Um, He's another good man. Well, well. A lot of people like that, John Hirschbeck. He was a good guy. One time I threw my hat at him. That <laughs> didn't last long. No, no, it, I, no, it didn't. Do you miss do you miss that aspect of it? Because that's another thing that I always wonder. And we can get off this this gloom and doom because people listening are like, oh my God, Everett's on this again. Yeah, they're gonna say that's enough of that. Okay. Enough of this. <laughs> enough on. of this. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yes. And and no, we're not headed to civil war. It's okay. But this uh, this idea that replay has just changed the argument i mean there's no there's no arguing calls anymore and what i don't like personally is i don't like the challenge system because i think that if a play's close and there's a debate right there's a a throw at second there's a play at the play the play at second got makes a tag you call him safe somebody disagrees it's close Mm -hmm. the time that you think about challenging and your replay coordinator looks it up to see about challenging and the stalling that goes on is unnecessary. How about this? It's close replay. And again, umpires don't have these massive egos that they can't say, you know what? That's close replay. And in the two seconds that it took me to explain that you could have it done. It could be over and you could keep the thing moving. I agree. I agree. It's it's really slowed the game down when you have game ending inning ending big plays, game ending big plays, and everyone has to stand there until the replay comes back before they can cheer. I don't see how that helps the game. Um, and I always said when they started this, look out because when they open this Pandora's box, they're never going to stop, and they haven't. They they have not. Back with more of Sports with Friends in just a moment. But first, we want to welcome a new sponsor to this show. Sports with Friends is now brought to you by 
Manscaped. What's Manscaped? Well, they're just simply the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Yeah, I said it. Below-the-waist. Listen, gentlemen, I'm talking to you. We've all had to be there. We've all had to do it. Whether you are right now doing it for a partner or you're doing it because you're hoping for a partner, we have to groom. And yes, when it's about women, they talk about it all the time. There's pictures of it. You can see it. And it's in popular culture. But no one ever talks about us. We never talk about it. I will never go on Twitter. Well, now I will. I've never gone on Twitter before and said, shave my balls today. And I don't know how to do it. And I don't know what to do right. I don't get it. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. It's the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. Now, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. It's waterproof. You can do it in the shower. There's an LED light which illuminates the grooming areas. And I can say from firsthand knowledge, that is very valuable. No, I'm not doing it in the dark. Stop asking me that. But when you have that light, you're pointing at exactly the right spot. And let's be honest, you do not want to miss. They've upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And when they told me that, I did want to look it up and just make sure I knew what it was. It comes with a charging stand, so when people go in your bathroom, they'll see it and they'll go, this guy pays attention. This is a classy thing. And I've always been told, just be classy. Trim it. Trim it. Make it look good. If you're listening, I want you to experience it firsthand. So we have a deal with Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and you can get 20% off and free shipping. I mean, free shipping alone is great. 20% off, free shipping with the code FRIENDS. And we've done codes like this, and it's so funny because every time they do the code and it's always FRIENDS, I always think of... And now you'll never forget the code. (laughs) You've got to try Manscaped. Try the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off free shipping with the code FRIENDS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code FRIENDS. And yes, photos are available upon request. The replay, the challenge system, like some of these umpires, what like Terry Collins used to tell us, he would go out and he would wait and they were just waiting for their guy back in the dugout yeah. to tell him whether or not he's challenging. What did they ask you? Did they ask you about? Like, it got to the point where, where they you, just what say, restaurant are you going? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it got like like that with you know the guys that were more of that temperament. It really did, and um, they go, "Okay, good call," and then run off. And that, that just kind of I don't know. That's I'm. It, it it didn't bother me, but people used to say to me when I was younger. Like, what's the difference between a triple A umpire and a big league umpire? And my answer always was how you handle people 
and how you handle situations. Granted, you have to be able to call balls and strikes, safes and outs, but it's not like that anymore. You don't have to handle situations and you don't have to handle people. So how much has the job changed right there? Right. There's no arguing. There's no, I mean, there's no reason to argue anymore. The only thing now that you get is uh, things at the plate, pitches and check swings, things like that. That's all you're ever going to get now. Yeah, I mean it's it it, it, it and the, and the arguments are nothing. I mean, and now no. and that's that's one of the things I don't like the uh, the fake crowd sound. I mean, that's no. over now, but no. the fake crowd sound was bad because I loved hearing all that. Like that's right. that's good stuff and I've been to games. I've watched simulated games for example. I've seen games in an empty stadium and it's not it, the the ballpark has a noise like there's a right. there's an atmosphere and i think you can Always. capture that and I, I, I and, and guys that i i talked to that are still working they said john it's really weird because you know you'll call a pitch you call a guy out on strikes or whatever and they go back to the dugout and they might kind of yell a cuss word that you really aren't supposed to be able to hear because of the crowd and because just natural noise in the ballpark and it's like, geez, we hear everything. You know, it's like, where do you draw the line? What's the guy just being angry, angry at himself, angry at you, and just yelling out a word? And then, you know, so it's it's different for for everybody. This has been a tough year for the for the country, for the world. So we'll get through it. Yeah, and 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 I don't think anybody's blaming them for the for that aspect of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's yeah. The, I, I didn't like, you know, I understood why they had the, uh, the extra round of playoffs, even though I thought it was ridiculous that a, a division winner would have to play three games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's not rewarding the division winner. And, you know, you have it, but that was a $50 million, you know, get from the TV network. So I got why you did it. Yeah. Um, but when baseball returns, and like I said, that's the thing, they need a new CBA when they return because anything that Manfred institutes now can be negotiated and that's that's where this is all right uh, coming it's gonna take Um, a lot of time you mentioned the world series in 2016 the cubs and the indians uh what game i I can go through i have a list here of games uh both good games and not so good games that you were involved in what was one that sticks out to you like if i were to say tell me a moment that when you think back on your career that image comes into your mind of having a good game not or you a bad had a game. Good game or a good experience, oh. meaning either you oh, had a good oh, game oh. or you saw a good game or well, some, some things that you don't think about a couple of things that are in the auction, you know, being behind the plate for bonds. That was, um, it was yep. so chaotic because ESPN was in there every night and yep. MLB people with numbering the balls yep. um, and having to use them in order in the game when yep. you're working the plate and trying to concentrate once it was over, it was kind of cool to look back. And, and someone the other day said, what about the World Series? I said, well, it's stressful. It's, it's you know, you don't want to mess up in that. But I said, my wife and the girls, and when Michael was alive, they all have a good time at it. But yeah. until I'm in a tree stand a week later, you know, bow hunting, and you, you think like, oh, that really was great. I'm glad it's done. But that was, I'm glad I had the, the opportunity and the experience to do that. But um, Roy Holiday's no hitter in the playoffs. That was oh, yeah. really, really neat. And it was about the fourth inning. And I looked up and I said, oh, they don't have any hits yet. I mean, Cincinnati. But you didn't say that out loud, right? No, 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 no. Just to myself. <laughs> and then and then in the fifth, it, it, he did it again. I said, okay, now you've really got to bear down. Um, you don't want this game to be about you. And I always tell young umpires, as the intensity in the stadium goes up, you have to take your volume, internal volume, and turn it down. 
you have you can't rise with the occasion you have to keep your mindset and do the same job and stay the same pace same tempo and um and mariano's game those are those are special because here's the greatest relief pitcher that ever will be and um we kind of knew it was coming up we went into yankee stadium for that series and um you know, that day it was the eighth inning and I think it was a closer game. I don't know, but you know, when he comes in, it had to be somewhat, you just at the time thinking like, okay, let's um, close this thing out and go home and, uh, or go, you know, have a beer dinner was a day game. And um, you know, just again, not being the show, the story, the show, not being about me. It's always about the players. I didn't want to be noticed. I just want to go in, do my job, leave. And nobody even knows John Hirschbeck was there. We'll get back to Sports with Friends in just a moment. But first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like Sports with Friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports, but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movies. And don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. You're friendly, you, since you brought this up, you're friendly with Jim Joyce, correct? Oh, yeah. Have you spoken to Jim Joyce about the Armando Galarraga game? And what, what could you tell us, if anything? Well, about back then, back then I did. Um, it's funny you brought his name up. That's really weird. I was, I was just got home yesterday. I was bear hunting in Pennsylvania, and I was on my way back, and he called. And at this point in our lives, whenever you see somebody you haven't talked to in a while, the first thing you think is... Um, you know, someone, one of our colleagues passed away and that was indeed the fact. So I, I just talked to Jim yesterday, but back when it happened, you know, it's more about like, I might've brought up the Alomar incident with me, you know, and in time I look back and say, geez, if I had just said ball four instead of calling a strike and the ball probably was, it was outside a little bit. I, I just, right. I screwed up, right. but that doesn't mean I wanted the results of what happened, but but yet it turned into a good thing. And I think, um, you know, Jim turned his into a pretty good thing. It's something, you know, I can't say he's got to live with it. He does, but it's in the big picture of life and, well, and yeah, the things course. that really matter in life that he's retired now. Well, he was known, is known as a good umpire. Uh, he cared. He had a great personality. So the things that matter are out there and the ones that know, know, and the ones that don't, don't matter. Um. What, if anything, do you want to comment about something that happened a long, long time ago, and that is the Roberto Alomar uh, spitting incident? Well, it was unfortunate. I just said about the pitch and everything. That being said and done, um, kind of a cute story is that um, that winner, my son, Michael, well, he played with Baltimore. He stayed with Baltimore. And we didn't ever really talk. He would come up to bat. I would call pitches. He would leave. There's no contact whatsoever. But it was not an animosity. It was just he was not just one of the friendly. Don't, don't talk to me. No, I always got along great with him before that. Got right. along great. 
but it was oh, more okay. like I see, I see. we're not gonna we're not uh, we're not ready to talk to each other. Don't you know? No high. You know, normally a guy steps in. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Right, right, right. You know that kind of thing. But we both knew like, okay, there's it's not time in life for this yet. So a couple seasons later, when he got traded to the Indians, one day I'll never forget it. My son Michael comes down our hallway and he goes, Dad, guess what? I go, what, Mike? He goes, Robbie Alomar just got traded to the Indians. I'm like, oh, God, you know, here it's the, the team that's close to us, you know, his favorite team and all that stuff. And he was already bat-boying at the time since Mike Hargrove was there. Um, and, okay, so I got, you know, over it. That's fine. That's life. But right. I got there for my first time in May, early May of that year. And Jack Efta is, was our clubhouse person. And I said, hey, Jack, um, now that you've been around Alomar, you were out in Arizona for spring training and, you know, the first month of the season, what do you think about him? He goes, you know what, John? He's one of the two nicest people I've ever met. I'm like, you're kidding me. And he goes, <laughs> he, yeah. He goes, yeah, you're the other. And it kind of, you know, slapped me in the face. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to do something about this and just see what happens. Well, that night I happen to be at second base and he's of course playing second base and in the first inning you know so I'm only 10 feet back behind him with no runners on base mm -hmm. and um I said hey Robbie how are you and he turned around and said hi to, hey John how are you doing and I said I'm good and then my wife happened to go to the game that night and she was there and she said John all he did was turn around and talk to you the whole game I was afraid he was a ground ball was going to be hit to him and he wouldn't be looking it was like just the floodgates opened. Wow. And after that, um, he saw my wife once out in the hallway and, you know, we all knew him and gave her a hug. And he was very, very good to Michael in the locker room and everything. And um, hmm. we were trying to raise funds for Johns Hopkins Kennedy Krieger Institute, which is part of it for, for ALD awareness and a cure, but nothing's really ever come with that. Um, and then, you know, he was very, very generous if I need anything for our dinners back then. And as time went on, um, my only other tie, he's in my phone. He's in my phone to call, if I need to call him. And I got a lot of calls from writers when he was first trying to get in the Hall of Fame. And I did every interview that I got called. And my line then and always will be, if that's the worst thing he ever does in his life, he'll have led a really good life. And I truly believe that. Wow. People make mistakes and it's so not profound. up to me yeah. to carry that on or, or not forgive him. Um, and then the second time around, again, everybody thinking like it was because of that incident. And I said the same thing. I did every interview that I was called for. And um, when, when he got in, he called me, you know, and told me, and I congratulated him and, um, to this day, I, after he got in the Hall of Fame two years ago, our last dinner, I called him and I said, hey, can I get something for our banquet? And sure enough, he, a couple, he called time, this guy right? in Toronto and a couple weeks later, some wow. things showed up. So it's all good. Just to show you how my twisted brain works, as you're set, telling that story, that's such a profound story. And I think fans would so be happy to hear that. I, I think that's mm -hmm. such a great story. It's a true story. I'm glad that, glad that you said it. I'm glad I asked it. But your phone must have a hell of a lot of potential sports with friends guests. So I just knew really do need to have a new best friend. Cause I'm just saying 
because you, you're uh, like Roberto Alomar's in my phone. He's like, I fit a lot of guys around your phone. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Believe me. <laughs> you know, here's the other thing, Seth. People always say to me, like, uh, was it hard? A lot of you know, a lot of bad guys. I was in the game baseball for 41 years, and I can't count the bad guys on one hand. I really can't. Really. I've met so many great people in the game and because Barry Bonds goes out to left field when I'm at third base and chooses not to say, Hey, John, how you doing? Or, mm-hmm. or I say, Hey, Barry, how are you? And he just goes, Hey, that doesn't make him a bad guy. Maybe there's something going on in his life. Maybe he, he is that competitive that, you know, but that doesn't make someone a bad person. So you just, you learn that just, well, he didn't respect the media's job. That's, well, that, that's my thing on Barry Bonds. I never thought he was a bad guy in the sense that I never thought he was a criminal. Um, you know, no, 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 no. And I and I say bad people. I'm not. I don't. No, no. But but what I'm saying is he. There are guys that just don't respect what the media is trying to do. And I always think the media is a conduit to fans. And I think in this pandemic, and I've already had you on so long that we can we can go down this road. But I think that this introduction of Zoom. Uh, to the clubhouse has I think the players love it and you know I think I think I, I think the days of media in clubhouses I think that's gone yeah it, it could be should be um, you know you can leave your jersey on and just that's it you can be sitting in right. your underwear getting ready to take a shower um, so I have to mention this in 34 years in the big leagues 17 I was a crew chief but in my total time in the big leagues I never ever ever had one problem with the reporter. You're talking about media and everything. And um, I think it was just, to me, it was just a matter of treating them like they're a part of the game. They have a job to do. When there was a question, um, we, a lot of times we had a separate room um, or if not, I would go out into the hallway and um, I always would introduce myself, ask them their names. Sometimes there were a lot of them out there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'd go out with the water um, and, ask them if they want anything to drink and put things like, okay, guys, what do you want to ask me? What do I to talk about? And I'd answer their questions until they were done. And I can honestly say I never, ever had a problem with a reporter. My, uh, my thing with umpires, like I said, Hunter Wendelstedt used to listen to when I was on Sirius XM, he used to listen to us because he would be traveling all over the country and mm-hmm. we would be on all over. And that was, and he liked the familiarity and he would call in a bunch of times. And, and, and that was, that, that, that was, um, you know, the only incident, my favorite umpire story is the 98 All-Star game when someone hired me to do like a bunch of reports, but then to do a couple of interviews. And one of them was to interview an umpire. Mm-hmm. I just needed a five minute interview with an umpire and Coors Field. And I had just gotten a job to move to Seattle to work with the Mariners. So the All-Star game in 98 was the last thing I was going to be at Coors Field. Right. And I didn't know where the umpire's room was. So I asked somebody and I said, uh, which, uh, which one of these rooms is the umpire's room? And he says, oh, second door on the right. Well, that's not true. It's the third door on the right because the second door on the right is the mascots changing mascots room. area. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. just going to say, I didn't want to ruin the story if you were going yeah. somewhere else, but I know yeah. when you come up that tunnel, it's the mascots yeah. room. And for the all-star game, they had all the mascots sitting yeah. in that room with their heads on the floor <laughs> and i can't get that image out of my head i can't look at mr met yeah. or the philly fanatic or the mariner moose they i've seen them all decapitated it gives you nightmares doesn't it from oh now my on God. <laughs> from the then worst. on 
it's the it, the, the mascots are the absolute worst and that that's my favorite umpire story um <laughs> um who's the your favorite manager to argue with i don't like to argue even with my wife so there were none that i can say such, i'm really i a, i don't why, why do i want to argue russa didn't give it to you no i Wait mean a second you managed in 84 in the american league billy martin wasn't fun billy never bothered me Get never out. bothered me no no never bothered me never have an Earl weaver ever. weaver i ran three or four times yeah <laughs> Yeah, he, he, I did. But you said favorite one to argue with. That's why my answer came oh, back. Okay. No, none of them are favorites. I, like I said, I just wanted to get along. I wasn't afraid of it, but there's no reason if we can just get along and do our jobs, leave me alone. My favorite umpire fight was in uh, 99 at Safeco Field. Lou Pinella, I don't know who the umpire was, but Lou Pinella was arguing something and he storms out of the dugout. And he, like you said earlier, he tripped on the top step of the dugout and fell flat on his stomach. And Bill Kruger, you remember Bill Kruger? Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Kruger was sitting next to me and he thought somebody had shot him <laughs> because of the way he fell. Was and that an argument at first base with C.B. Buckner? It could, have been. It, it could, it could have been, but he, and he trips and falls and Bill Kruger in the booth yells, sniper! And I went, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh... He was a beauty. The reason I said that is one time, one time I, he went out to argue a play at first base with one of my partners and I had the plate and he was going crazy. I mean, one of those vintage Lou Pinella uh, throwing a base and throwing whatever. a base, throwing his hat, putting it back. I mean, and I, I tried to get between him a couple times and he was just, he was on fire. So finally I get in between and I said, Lou, listen to me. And he stopped for a second. I said, you know, your wife's going to see this tonight on the news. She's going to see the way you're acting. And I said, and she is going to be pissed at you. He goes, oh, Hirsch, you're right. And he picked his hat up, went in the dugout. That was the end of it. So right after the game, reporters are out there. And no, they weren't outside my room. The game was still on. The clubhouse guy had it on before we could turn the channel. And they're interviewing him. And they said, what did Hirschbeck say or do that you just stopped and walked away? He, he reminded me how pissed off my wife was going to be when she saw the way I was behaving. And that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite Lou's, I have like a top five and uh, we had Lou on the podcast recently, uh, right before the pandemic, uh, we had him on, he was at the Thurman Munson dinner and uh, we went to, to talk to Lou, but he had an issue with the morning show uh, at KJR where I worked. And I had nothing to do with the morning show. Mm -hmm. and he wanted me to deliver a message to them. And <laughs> so we all go in the office and we're talking to him and then all the writers leave and I stay there and he goes, do me a favor, kid, stay here. <laughs> and I stayed there and he says, close the door. And I went, what? And when I closed the door, Griffey's there and Griffey looks at me and he goes, ooh, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I closed the door and he says, I want you to get, you know, he, he said something to the effect of, and we talked about this on the podcast, he says, uh, you know, you show up here every day. He goes, I don't care if you criticize a move I make because you have the balls to show show up here. And he says, but those morning guys, they're never here. And he starts going in. You tell us. And he's screaming. <laughs> yeah. But no one on the other side of the door knows the nice thing he said. Complimenting. Yeah, they think he's screaming at me. <laughs> and I walk out like mm -hmm, and I yeah. walk out and Mark McLemore is like, 
what the hell did you do? <laughs> and I got a <laughs> reputation and it was like, nice. Yeah. Everybody thinks I fought with Lupinella. <laughs> <laughs> you should have ever told the story. You would have no. gone to your death that way. No, he was a beauty. He's, he is a beauty. He's a classic. Yeah. Uh, the managers that I loved because the, the, the five managers that I covered, uh, or four, four, I think, uh, Don Baylor, Lupinella. I covered Charlie Manuel in mm -hmm. 2011 and I covered Terry Collins four. And though every other manager I, I knew and I knew people, but that was when I was working on a national basis. So right. you just see it catches catch can. Um, but those four managers I ca covered every day. And I always say that managers are the teachers and I learned so much from them, yeah. but all four of those managers can't manage today's game. No, and I don't want to go back over what we no. just covered, but no. it's now and, and it's times have changed. Look at umpires. Down. Look at umpires. It's a different group. It's a different, the game has changed and you know, we, people have to change with the game. Well, that's all I, there is I, to it. I can just tell you this. Um, I have had so much fun. I hope you've had half as much fun as I've oh, had. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to you. Did this, a good job. I hopefully I did. It's a collectible exchange. Go to bidcx.com for all this great stuff. And there's so many great things on it's for the magic of Michael foundation. Um, how do you feel? I, I end the podcast this way all the time. Uh, how do you feel about social media? Is that a thing you've embraced in your life? Somewhat, somewhat. Um, I try and sometimes my daughters will get mad. I might put something political out there and they said, dad, just keep okay. your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Recently I had my daughter call my wife and say, tell dad to get that off there right now. So oh, no, okay. I, I'm, um, I, I've, I've embraced it. I, I love the little computers we all carry because they're really just little computers that happen are, to make yeah. phone calls. And, you know, I'm not uh, savvy that way, but I, I, I think, I think it's a good thing. Well, you don't have a social media handle that you'd want to give out because what, how I normally end this podcast is I say, uh, if anybody has any issues with any of the things that they heard in this episode, do me a favor and reach out to John directly and leave me the hell out of it. That's, that's how we normally end the podcast. But if you're, you're not you're stuck. public, I, no. I, I, if you have any issues, all you Baltimore Oriole fans that are not satisfied that John Hirschbeck <laughs> and Roberto LMR don't hate each other, you can find me on social media and just let me know. And I'll, trust you me, I'll you relay the me. message. I'll relay me. the messages. Don't, don't, don't worry. You have my number. <laughs> John, thank you so much for doing this. This You're was very so welcome. much fun. Good, thank you. I, I enjoyed it also. That's John Hirschbeck. I'm Seth Everett. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And uh, enjoy the, the rest of the World Series. And we'll see you next week with another Sports with Friends. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. Granted and smile. Count on grace, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone. Because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person that you really are now. You got to get in straight. How could I ever be late when you're my woman taking up my time?